If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Our guest today is Michelle O'Neill. Michelle's already been on for interview number 217 or 217, and interestingly enough, she co-produced a DVD, which was called Please Can I Have a Pony? And today she's going to talk about finding the ideal horse. So I suppose if the sales has been very good with the Please Can I Have a Pony, it's about finding the ideal horse or the ideal pony. How are you today, Michelle? I'm well, thank you, Glenis, and yourself? I'm well too. Yeah, and enjoying the lovely weather we're having up here, not like you down there. <laughs> it's all cold. <laughs> okay, start of winter. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Now, Michelle, the DVD, Please Can I Have a Pony? You know, that's for, for people who would like to have a pony. And this finding the ideal horse, this sort of goes on from there, or is this, you know, I mean, where's the relationship if people would like to buy the DVD? And this finding the ideal horse is sort of moving on from there, or is it part of the DVD? Um, so it does relate to the DVD in that the DVD is aimed at anybody who's buying a horse. Yes. Um, it does go through some basic care tips, you know, on grooming and oh, feeding yes. And, yes, and equipment yes. for anybody who hasn't got a horse. Mm -hmm. But um, whereas the finding the ideal horse, it stems from the DVD. It has a lot of the stuff that's in the DVD. But then it's more aimed at, you know, people who, uh, whether you have one horse or 50 horses. Okay. Um, yeah, it's what basically what has happened over the years is I've seen so many people buy horses that were just not suitable mm. because they just let their emotion get in the way and and you know sometimes it was their first horse sometimes they bought quite a few horses and and over time I've I've had to help a lot of people who have been stuck in that predicament yep. and so I sort of spent a lot of time thinking about how people could go out and save themselves a lot of time and money and find their perfect horse partner yep. Yeah. And I think it is. It's a real art in itself, isn't it? Finding the ideal horse. Oh, definitely. And and a lot of it is because we get so caught up in, in the dream. Um, yes. when, you know, if you're selling a horse to somebody, you know, you're not selling something with four legs that eats grass. You're selling that cantering with the wind blowing through your hair across an open paddock or, or doing the Grand Prix dressage test or, or jumping a metre 50. Mm. You know, you're mm. selling those dreams and those feelings and, yeah. and those aspirations. Yeah. And, and sometimes, unfortunately, because we're human, it's quite possible to take those dreams and put them onto a horse when we're buying that, that isn't actually suitable or isn't actually capable of doing what we would really love to do. Yep. All right. Now, for your first tip about finding the ideal horse, you've got Create Your Unicorn. So can you talk a bit more about creating your unicorn? 
So pretty much it's creating that absolute ideal horse. And, and this is where you sit down somewhere nice and quiet with a pen and paper and sit down and write down every single thing that you would want in your ideal horse. Now, I personally don't care if that means you write down you want a horse that's that's pink with purple spots. If that's important to you, if that's what you've always dreamed of, write it down. But what you have to be really careful of is making sure that you not only put the things that you have an emotional investment in, the things that, you know, would make you happy to see that horse every day, but also write down the things that you actually need the horse to do. So, for example, if you're a busy working person and you only get to ride the horse on weekends... You need to write that down. Yep. Horse must put after a spell. Okay. So, you know, you, you need to put both the ideal and the practical on your list mm-hmm. um, and, and then go through and, and look at that list and work out what is not actually all that important. Now, um, we used to retrain and sell a, a lot of horses. We don't do it anymore. And and I would say to people, you know, like people would, would ring me up and I'd have a really great horse and they'd be pretty basically perfect for what they'd need. And and the people would say, oh, yes, he, he's a wonderful horse, but I really wanted a Palomino. <laughs> you know, well, if, if that's really important to you and you're willing to put the time and money into finding that horse, yep. that's fine. You know, keep it on that list and, and make that something that is important on your list. Yes. Um, but, you know, but if, say, for example, you're a beginner rider, you've never owned a horse before, you know, if I'm helping someone to buy a horse, and I go and look at a horse, and the horse has a few conformational faults, mm-hmm. I can forgive that for a beginner rider if its temperament is yep. what we need and if, as long as it's not, you know, lame or anything like that. But, but yeah, there's stuff like that that I can overlook. But, if, for example, if, if you're wanting to ride Grand Prix dressage, a conformational fault is quite possibly career-limiting or career-ending, so you mm-hmm. cannot accept that. Yep. Um, so, you know, go through that list and, and work out what things you can forgive and put them all in an order of importance. You know, list them. You might go through this list three or four times. Um, go through and, and change that order and work out what is the most important thing, what's the least important thing. And then, very important through the whole horse buying process, I cannot stress this enough, take that list and show whether you already have an instructor or a valuable horse friend, get their opinion. Yep. See yep. what they think about that list. And they may say to you that they think stuff is important that you don't, and you may choose to disagree, but it, it doesn't hurt to have that added, that opinion in the back of your mind. And it may be something that's very important that you haven't even thought of. Oh, exactly. You know, how many times how many times is it easy to miss the obvious? You know, mm. it, I, I, you know even with your interviews, Glennis, how many times do when you ask people, you know, what they love about the industry, do they forget to say the horses? Oh, and it's just taken. It's just, yeah, <laughs> automatically it. assumed. But, yeah. That's it. You know, we just assume that stuff. And, and so it can be the same when you're looking to buy a horse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, yep. All right. The next thing about taking your time, what have you got to say about that? And if you've got any horror stories about any of these, then tell us because, you know, we want to know that, that it's not just us making mistakes, that, you know, other people make mistakes too. It makes us feel better. You know, and we can learn from that because if you do have horror stories and, and people are looking for a horse, they can say, no, I'm not going to do that because of this reason. 
Yeah. Oh, definitely. And and you know how much easier is, is it to learn by somebody else's mistake than your mm-hmm. own? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Taking time is so important. You know, and and I see so many people who go, okay, I want a horse, and or the the child wants a horse, and they just go, okay, I need it now. And we see people and they they go out and they buy this horse and they get it home, and suddenly they find out that it's. You know, not what they want. I have a friend, actually, who I think she has... I've not helped her at all with buying horses, but I think she's bought four or five horses that she's just rushed in and bought, and then she's gotten home and realised how unsuitable they are. Yep. Um, Yeah, she's just let emotions get in the way. I I was going to say, was that an emotional buy? Yes, mm. yes. So, so often it's an emotional buy, and and how often do we laugh? You know, lots of people in the horse industry laugh about the fact that if you have a, a coloured horse, that will always sell faster than a plain mm-hmm. horse. And and I give you an example of of how this happens to me. I have a uh, a buckskin gelding that I've been riding that I bred, and um, all my horse, all the horses are chestnuts and bays and and very boring. And we were doing some demonstrations at some field days, and. My buckskin horse was in the yard, and and my, I had my buckskin horse. I had my good chestnut horse that, you know, I just love to death, and has been so awesome for my career, and has won so much for me. And I had another little bay horse, and you know, everybody noticed the buckskin horse, and yep. yet he was the least accomplished of the three horses mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. But because he was buckskin. Everybody rushed straight over to him and saw him. And we did a field day earlier this year where I was doing demonstrations, and I had multiple offers to sell that horse. Yep. Because of his colour, and yeah. and this is what happens. People people rush in. They see a pretty horse, and and they do it. And you know, we need to spend a lot of time getting a real feel for what's out there, and a real feel for what is actually going to suit our needs. So you know, get online, ask people, um, you know, and look around and know what sort of breed might suit you, what age, what type of horse. You know, talk to people and find out what you're going to do. And how that particular breeds of horses might suit that. Um, you know, I, I always laugh. You know, people when they're buying secondhand car, basically buying horses is a little bit like buying secondhand cars. It comes fraught with the same amount of danger. And how many people do you know actually go out and buy the first secondhand car they they see? Mm-hmm. Not, you know, yeah. most people go and they have done they'll have done their research and they'll know like. You know, you might be like us and and live rural remote, so a four-wheel drive is handy and, you know, we need cars that are pretty robust. And so, you know, I'm not going to go out and buy a Mazda 6 because I know the first time I drive it out here, if I hit something, it's not going to last. So people put that sort of thought into buying a car, but then they go and buy a horse and (laughs) they don't use that same rational common sense and they let their emotions take over and they yep. rush out and of course it's not suitable. Yep, yep. Now you talked before about asking a coach or a good friend about what else is on the list but the next one you've got here is the actual when you're buying the horse to get good advice. So that's number four is getting good advice. Yep, so when you go, I really, looking at horses, I really recommend you take someone with you if you are inexperienced and be careful who you take. I have a, a friend or a client who, who she is a horse collector. She's the absolute worst person you could take with you to look at a horse. Oh, okay. because, yes. Yeah, she would buy every horse she sees. And what you have to be careful, and they're, one, they're lovely, wonderful, kind, well-meaning people. Please don't think I'm saying a bad thing about anybody. But 
The problem with those people is they, they love to collect horses and we all know those people. And they, if they can't buy another horse, they may be just as excited to project their emotional attachment <laughs> horses onto you. So they're the one that's standing there. When you're having a few doubts about the horse, they might be standing there saying, yeah, yeah, buy the horse, buy the horse, buy the horse. You know, because they would actually love to be in a position to buy it themselves. Yep. So you have to be a little careful. So it's really fantastic you find someone like an instructor or a horse friend who is not like that, who can be very objective in their opinion mm-hmm. and who can step back, assess the picture of you and the horse and give you an honest opinion. And the, in Australia, we seem very hesitant to pay people to do work like this, and, and yet in America it is much more common for, mm-hmm. for people to be paid to look and look at horses. You know, I would think nothing of paying somebody to go and look at a horse for me because I might pay them you know, a couple of hundred dollars. That's nothing. Compared to if I go and buy the wrong horse, the cost of buying it, the cost of getting it, the cost of discovering and the possible injuries if I find out it's the wrong horse, and then the cost of trying to sell it again, that's a major, major, major financial burden. But if I yep. spend a couple of hundred dollars, in the big scheme of things, you know that we that old saying, you know, the cheapest part about a ho- buying a horse is buying the horse? Yes, yes. You know, this is the thing, that, that little bit of money that you outlay at the start might save you thousands in the future. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. All right, just going on to number five now. We've got number five, be on time. When we used to sell a lot of horses, my absolute pet hate was people who turned up. I've had people turn up to look at horses three hours late, mm. and it was so annoying. It put me in a bad mood because, you know, I have work to do as well. And, and even if it's just someone selling their horse, you know, they have a family to get along with. So what happens is you can, if you turn up late, the seller is already in a bad mood with you and it actually takes away your possibility to negotiate on things. Um, so that can be a bit of a, a sticking point right at the start. And I'm, I don't sell many horses these days, luckily, but you know, like if I'm very selective where my horses do go. So if you've turned up late, that's not a very good character reference as far as I'm concerned. And I'm probably going to be a little hesitant to sell you the horse that I love so dearly in that case. Um, and the other thing is too, like if I go to look at a horse, I want it to be, I want it to be caught in a paddock. So if you're there a little bit early, you can actually turn up in time to see that horse being caught in a paddock. And you can actually see what the horse is like in a relaxed environment from the start, what it's like normally at home. Remembering that, you know, horses are a little different quite often at home to when you take them out. So, you know, you're getting that really good first impression of the horse and and how it is. And, of course, as soon as you, you know, start, as soon as you get there and you meet the the, the seller and you meet the horse, start asking questions in relation to, to what you need to know about the horse, you know. Start asking them about, you know, everything that you need to know. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, and it doesn't hurt to ask too many questions because you really do need to know, don't you? Oh, yeah. The only, I say at my clinics all the time, the only stupid question is the question you don't ask. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, and, and the thing is if, you know, asking a simple, what may seem like a very simple question now, you know, can save you a lot of 
time and heartache down the track and, and it might, you know, just alleviate your concerns. And, and I love it when people ask questions, you know, the, the more questions people ask, the more I feel that people are actually interested in what's going on around them, whether that's for clinic or buying a horse or anything. Yep. Um, you know, they're... A person who asks questions is engaged. And again, you know, we're talking a bit about, you know, buying a horse is is a little bit like a job interview um, because, you know, you have to impress the seller and the seller has to be happy to hand over the horse that they love so dearly. Yep. So, you know, if I've got somebody who's engaged and interested, uh, I'm, I'm going to be happy that that person has an interest in learning and they're going to look after my horse. Tell us about riding the horse. You know, what should happen there when you go and look at a horse as far as the riding goes? That's number six. When you go get to the riding, so, so, so say everything. Now, this is, I guess, the important part that I mm. haven't mentioned. You might go and look at the horse and ask questions, and you might already know this horse isn't for you. Yep. Well, you can save yourself the time and effort and not go through this stage, sure. especially if you feel the horse is, is in any way dangerous. Um, so I always... I always tell people get the get the seller to ride the horse first. Okay. It's a little bit of a test. If I go anywhere in the seller, if I'm looking for a client and the seller won't ride the horse, and there's not a very very good reason, I'm not interested in the horse. Okay. So yeah, I always like the seller to ride. And the thing is too, then you get to see the horse in action with the person it knows. So you know, get them to ride it. And then if you've taken your friend or professional with you. Get them to ride it because this gives you the opportunity to get a picture for the horse before you have to sit on it. This gives you the opportunity to see everything that's going on with the horse and how you may work with the horse. And then if you feel it might suit and you're happy, hop on. And this is where it becomes really important, especially if you're a little nervous or a little inexperienced. You really need to assess how comfortable you are riding the horse. So, for example, if you can walk, trot and canter in lessons or on your current horse, you need to make sure you can you feel comfortable doing this on this new horse. Now, you're not going to feel as comfortable, of course, as with the horse you already know. But, you know, if you get on a horse and you've been a little nervous and you're walking and trotting at home and then you get go and look at a horse and there is no way you're getting out of the walk, just assess how unsafe you feel and assess how that may actually be a problem for you later on. And it's really important if I like, I love video footage. I love video footage. And if yep. you could get, yeah, if you get someone to video you riding that horse, that gives you something to look at when you go away. And this is, again, this is talking about separating the emotion from the horse buying process. So when you sit back and look at a video, it's not you taking in the smell of the horse and feeling the reins and the leather and, and that, you know, all that wonderful thing that we love about horse riding and, and keeps us going. A video is simply footage and we, we're able to disassociate some of our emotions just by sitting back and watching that. Mm, so, yeah, mm. if you can get that videoed and, and then you can also take that and get another opinion. I have people send me videos. What do you think of me riding this horse? And I have no vested interest in it, so I can be honest with people. Yep. And yep. sometimes, yep. yeah, that helps. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. 
So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. I think what you said too about, you know, do what you normally do. So if you can normally walk, trot and canter, you really want to be able to walk, trot and canter the horse. You can't just walk it around an arena and that's it. You know, if you plan to do a bit more with it, you need to ride it outside. You need to put it through a few different experiences rather than the ones that the horse is comfortable with. You know, just take it out. And if you plan to take it out and, and go on trail rides, you need to ride it outside the arena if that's what you plan to do with it. Oh, mm. definitely, Gladys. We had someone come to look at a horse a long time ago and they wanted to go trail riding mm -hmm. and they wouldn't ride the horse out of the roundhouse. <laughs> yes. And I just said, no, she's not suitable for you. No, um, no. You know, and, you know, and they were horrified. I um I had one one couple come to look at a, a mare, mare we still have actually, and and like yeah, they they got on this horse. They wanted to go trailing this horse, and they got on. And the first thing they did was just kick her so hard. Mm -hmm. And the poor little thing. It's only that she was honest enough. I don't know how she didn't jump the six foot round yard fence. Yeah. <laughs> and then when I actually turned around and said no. I'm not interested in selling this horse because I don't think this is a good fit. I think you will end up getting hurt. Mm. They harassed me, like they rang me, they, you know, and, and I just kept, they, they were like, we will come back and get her, we'll give you more money, we'll do, and I just kept saying, no, mm. no, she does, she's not going. And that's exactly right, Glennis, like, you know, these are people telling me they wanted to go trail riding, yet they wouldn't ride her out of the round yard. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And that, that can be a disaster for everybody. And, and on top of that too, like what you were saying, you know, remembering that horses are different when you get them away from home. Yes. Um, so if you are in a position where the seller will meet you, even if it's on a second trip, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but but um, even if it's on a second trip, you know, if you can get that seller to meet you maybe down at the local pony club grounds or, or out on a trail, um, that's a really awesome opportunity and, and, you know, you should grab that with both hands and, and ask for it. You know, yes. the worst thing people will do is say no. Yep. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're up to number seven here, which is equipment. What have you got to say about the equipment and, you know, who provides it? And just give us some insights there. So, of course, this will always vary a little to on, you know, the the seller of the horse. If if they um, are hell-bent that it must have the saddle, the saddle has been fitted to the horse and yep. things like that, but there's grounds for negotiation there, mm -hmm. definitely. But I really, if you own your own gear, um, or if you've got equipment that you've been using, I prefer people to take that with them. And there's a couple of reasons for that. The first one is it's equipment that you're familiar with. Um, so, you know, say if if you've been riding in a in a fender saddle for the last five years, and you turn up to look at a horse, and all they've got is an all-purpose 
or a jumping saddle, you may not feel comfortable in that saddle. And that's actually going to then colour your opinion of the horse and, and how you go when you ride the horse. Yes. So, you know, yeah, take that gear with you so you can actually be in equipment that you are used to. Um, and it's a really good chance, too, to actually find out if you're going to have to buy a new saddle. Um, yeah. you know, yes. Nothing like that. Yes. Like. <laughs> That's right. I, yeah. I noticed, actually, in, gee, just going back to the Create Your Unicorn, you know, what size rug. So you might already have a whole heap of six-foot rugs or something, but if the horse is then going to take a five-six or a six-six, you, you know, you just go, right, well, as far as, as well as the cost of the horse, I've also got to buy a new rug. So if you've got to have the cost of the horse plus a new saddle, then it's a different thought process, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. yeah. How often do we see people when they're first starting out in the horse industry and they go out and buy the saddle before the horse? Yes. And I've got some clients in Canberra who um, who've actually bought a saddle when they were starting out they they bought a saddle and bought a horse and it's a complete mismatch like the saddle does not fit the horse um and now they've the horse ended up having a whole range of behavioral problems Mm. and they weren't entirely related to the saddle but they were quite a lot of them were related to the saddle and they've had to spend so much money on um, re like retraining and and looking at saddle options and and now of course what's happened is and this is a, a big catch for people they went out and bought one of the a, a cheaper saddle mm. um, and a cheaper older saddle and there's not there is some very good older saddles out there please don't get me wrong but this saddle is now basically impossible for them to sell because <laughs> it's a saddle that most people wouldn't ride in yes. And they went out and bought all this gear and then, of course, you know, I got involved, a few other people have gotten involved and we've kind of gone, oh, this is a bit... And now they're trying to sell the saddle so they can buy a proper, a, a better saddle for their horse and they're having trouble doing it. Yep, yep. Because nobody wants this old saddle. So, you know, that that if they'd, if they'd gone, bought the horse, and I have another client who has recently bought a horse and she's now... She's not ridden the horse since she got it home because mm. she's now waiting to get a saddle that fits it. So she's waiting for the saddle fit okay. to come. Okay. So going back to that start bit where we're talking about being patient. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> That's yes. Really yes. Important. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know? too, something that you said before is just getting advice. You know, like if they'd have asked for advice, someone would have said, no, get the horse first. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. definitely. And, yeah. and like, yeah. And if I had, if they'd sent me a picture of this saddle that they bought, I yeah. would have. Before they bought it, I would yep. have said, "Don't touch." Yes. Don't touch. Yes. Um, yes. And it's it's really hard, I know, because you know we all get excited. And but again, it's about making it easy. You know, we have horses in our lives because we enjoy them and we love their company and we love what they can do for us. And we love the feeling that we get from spending time with them. Mm-hmm. But if every time you go to ride your horse, in the back of your mind, you're worried that your saddle isn't fitting that horse and it's hurting them. <laughs> Well, then pretty soon, it, and especially if you're a new rider, yeah. you know, it takes the joy out of it. And I was talking to someone recently about the horse industry, and, and in Australia, our horse industry isn't that big. It's not like in America and places like that where there's more population. In Australia, we're kind of smaller, and the horse, so horse, horse industry isn't as big as other places. So every time somebody leaves our industry because they get disheartened or or because they get hurt, you know, that hurts everybody in the industry. Yes. So spending that little bit of time and asking those questions like you're saying and and getting everything right at the start. If we can keep those people in, in our industry, it's so much better for everybody and them. 
Yes. And as you say, everyone in the industry, if everyone does that, the industry is going to build up because a lot more people are going to get a lot more confident that people are doing the right thing. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Now, the day that you do go to look at the horse, okay, you're on time and everything, is it a good idea to bring horse transport with you or what's the go with that? This is my favourite point out of all of them. Okay. If, just don't do it. Don't <laughs> take the horse float. Don't take the truck. Just go in the car, make sure you've got nothing organised and look at the horse. It's, it, again, it's that taking the emotion of buying the horse straight away. You know, we live in a society now where you know, we can be sitting here and see an ad on the TV for something we want to buy. We pick up our smartphone, grab Google, Google up the thing and purchase it straight yep. away. Yep. You know, you know, a, a whole purchasing patterns have changed in, in the recent years with the increase of technology. And unfortunately, that's reflecting a lot of our horse purchases as well. So if we can actually slow things down a little bit, we can reduce the possibility that we're going to make that unsuitable horse, that horse purchase. And the other thing is it kind of just keeps the seller on their toes a little bit too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that if if um, if someone turns up with a horse float, you know, you kind of think you're going to make a sale. And a story that actually happened to me, I was selling one of my good competition horses and the people who turned up to look at him. Now, I hadn't advertised him. I told three people he was for sale and somebody contacted me. They drove from another state and they turned up with the horse float. <laughs> I knew I'd made the sale. Yeah. And I had I had pretty good money on him. Like, we're not, we're not looking a cheap horse. Mm. When they actually then asked if I was negotiable on price, my answer was no. <laughs> yes. Okay. I knew I'd, I knew I'd sold the horse, and and you know that may sound really harsh, and everybody's just gone, oh my god, she's a terrible person. But at the end of the day, you know, there are people out there who make their business like I do. They're living out of horses, not buying and selling them these days. But but you know, like so, we have to kind of take those opportunities when they arise, and, and other people too. You know, quite often people are selling their child's first pony to buy their second pony. And and we all know what good ponies are worth. Yep. Um, they're worth as much as good, you know, half-decent competition horses these days. So, you know, if someone's selling a pony and you look a little over-keen, it just might mean that, you know, you're going to pay a little bit extra. So, um, yep. Yep. yeah, it yep. just it backs the pressure off on everybody. And the other thing is, if, if, and I was talking about this before, you know, like if I'm selling a horse and someone turns up and they're not suitable and I am honest enough to say to people that horse does not suit you, there's nothing worse than if you have to say that to somebody and they've got the horse float there because yep. they've obviously thought they were going to take that horse mm-hmm. home mm-hmm. and it's heartbreaking and it's really uncomfortable. Yep. So, yeah, and, 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 you know, you and I were saying before, you know, it's buying the horse is a cheap part of the deal. Yes. It is cheaper to spend four, five, six, seven hundred dollars on a horse transport or the trip back or whatever to buy the correct horse. And I went with a client to Victoria 
and you know, you and I have been talking about the importance of advice. The catch with advice is it's only good if you listen to it. Yeah, I went with a client to Victoria. It was a two-day trip um, to look at a horse. We got there. The horse was not what the seller had said it would be. The horse was lame. It had ongoing issues. And I made two phone calls while I was there to a body worker and to a farrier and got both of them to speak to the purchaser of the horse. Yep. I told the purchaser of the horse to not buy the horse. Mm-hmm. She had the horse float with her. She was taking that home, mm-hmm. horse home. She didn't care. Yep. So three professionals advised her against the purchase of the horse. She bought it anyway, and it was never sound. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. if she had not had the float, she might have saved herself tens of thousands yeah. of dollars. A bit less pressure because, as you say, it's not just getting the horse. It's then if they're unsound, that's pretty expensive anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, you know, you start talking talking vet bills if you start pursuing things like that. And, and you know, it's it's easy to, to spend more money at the vet than you have on the horse. And, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> All right. Now, you've talked about that was sort of number eight we just did. (laughs) You were saying, you know, walk away, leave the horse here. When else should you walk away? You've said the horse is lame, but what else? You know, when else should you say, no, we don't want the horse, that's it, and just look for walk away, look for another one? Definitely. There are definitely times when you just have to. And one of them isn't. And, look, I know know when you go into the world of of, – you know, soundness tests or vet checks or or drug tests. I know that's a whole very complicated world. But, you know, you if you ask a seller if they are happy for you to do a vet test or, or to get a vet check done or, or to do a drug test and they refuse, I'd be concerned. Mm-hmm. And, and, look, they may just be an honest person who doesn't think it's necessary, but there's not many of those and... and you know, like we all love to think the best of people um, and, and you know, there's not that many people out there who are trying to rip us off, but there is always someone who doesn't have your best interests at heart. So, you know, just to be a bit aware, um, I cannot handle, I cannot handle people who are selling horses who have too many excuses or are rude. Okay. At the end of the day, it's customer service. And, again, I tend to think when people are too full-on excuses or if they're, like, just honestly really quite rude, I also tend to think there's something else going on and I think they're covering stuff up. Um, okay. Yep. And, and it's really sad, isn't it, Glenn? It's like, listen to me, I sound like the most sceptical, negative human <laughs> being in the world. <laughs> Please, I promise, I do like people. Can't, I've just seen too many people get hurt to allow like any room for these kind of things at all. Mm, um, mm. You know, the, of course, we've talked about the importance of your a friend or advisor that you've taken with you. Um, yep. If they say don't buy it, they have not a vested interest in this. They're just there to assist you. If they say don't buy that horse and they can give you reasons why, you really need to listen because they're not the seller, they're not the buyer. You know, provided you've picked a person who is being quite honest, and, and, and most people will be in that situation. You know, there's obviously something that you haven't noticed a bit. Like, you know, you and I said before, 
you know, it's easy to assume stuff or to, to miss the obvious. Yep. Um, so that that's really important. And and the other thing, the other really important thing is your gut feeling, okay, especially for us girls. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's something in that. There's something in that. If you have a bad gut feeling about a horse or a situation, run with it. Yep. Okay? okay. Even if it means going away and sitting and, like, you know, the next day, it, you know, sleep on it. Always sleep on stuff. Fantastic to sleep on stuff and assess what that gut feeling was about. And with a little time, a little thought, you'll quite probably find what it was that was bugging you at the time. All right. Now the last one. You said earlier we'll talk about trials or giving a second ride rather than just going out looking at the horse and making a decision on the spot. You know, if you're a bit keen, come back for a second ride. But let's talk about trials and, you know, what we can do there, a bit more information. Yeah, these days trials are very rare. I actually sold a horse years ago, well before I started the business. I sold a horse to a girl and I gave her a trial and I didn't get paid and I got to the point where I had to threaten to come and get the horse back and then I got paid. So, you know, once you've been bitten by something like that, you know, you tend to not do it again and unfortunately that's sort of what happens these days. But there's ways to overcome that. Like trials are are fantastic. If you can get one, grab it with both hands and run with it. Um, Something I actually probably haven't mentioned though is if you're doing something like that, you probably need to look at signing up some form of agreement if you don't know if the buyer yes. and seller know okay. each other. Yeah, you know, um, get a legal document drawn up because these days, you know, horses are worth a lot of money and you may need to insure the horse, you know, something like that. Uh, I have a friend who has a horse out on lease at the moment and one of the conditions, one of the conditions before the horse left was it had to be insured. Mm-hmm. And don't think that horses don't, die um you know i have had people who've had horses on trial and the horse has died while it's been on trial and that can get very messy so make sure you have something between the two parties to make sure that it's all very clear what will happen but if you can't get a trial okay talk to the yep you know which you know really you have to expect these days yep talk to the fella and visit the horse on several occasions if they're happy with that Mm -hmm. um, and ride it on those occasions. So, you know, we had a lady come down from further up in New South Wales and she came down to look at a horse here and she actually came and stayed with friends in Cooma and and came out over three days Um, and we we were more than happy with that Um, and I always say to my friends when they go away looking at horses, you know, make sure you can go back a couple of different days And, and like we were saying before, if you can do that and maybe even take it to a different arena on one of those days, that's fantastic. Yes. Um, and, and exactly what you said, you know, if you're looking at buying a trail riding horse, you know, make sure you take it out on the trail and ride in the arena. Mm. Um, check out everything you can. And, you know, like you might have to stay in a motel for a couple of nights. Again, that's a lot cheaper than having to try and sell the horse later on when it's not suitable. So yep. uh, it's, yep. you know, you can make it, you know, make it a bit of a, make it a bit of an adventure, you know, make it a bit of a trip away. We, <laughs> I know of people who've gone to look at horses in wine growing regions, and so while they've been there, they've gone and ridden a horse a couple of times, and they've gone and checked out some of the vineyards. You know, they've made it a bit of a social adventure as well. Yep. Really nice thing about that going back over a couple of days is it also means that again, it puts that break between you and the horse, where you have time to go away and assess everything that you experienced 
and then you can go back and, and test it all a little bit more and, and check that, you know, what you felt the first time was the truth and not just your excitement of buying this new horse taking yep. over. Yep. All right, Michelle, we might just run through those again, hey? We've got the 10 tips to find the ideal horse. The first one was create your unicorn. Yeah, if you want to ju- just sum up, you know, just so that to revise those tips, just to um, put them back in people's mind. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yep. So, you know, write down absolutely everything that you want your perfect horse to be. Okay. Yeah, you know, right. Yep. Color, rug size, like you said, whatever. You know, make sure everything and then list them in order of importance. Okay. All right. Next one was take your time. Spend lots and lots of time. The mm-hmm. more time you can take, the more chance there is that you'll find a horse that's suitable for your needs and do lots of research. Get online, talk to people. Okay, good. And next one, be prepared before you get there. So make sure you have a list of questions for your seller that is absolutely everything that you want to ask them and make sure that release relates back to your unicorn list. Yep, yep. Okay, number four is get good advice. So whether it's an instructor or an experienced horse friend, Take someone with you that will give you an honest, objective opinion about the horse that you're looking at and someone who you can rely on for an, like honesty in relation to, is this horse going to suit you? Good, good. Okay, the next one, number five, was be on time. And the aim of being on time is that, or even early, which is even better, is to make sure that you get to see the horse in its natural environment and you create a good relationship with the seller straight away. So you hit it off and that will help you both feel that the horse is or you know is possibly going to the best home yeah yeah good good all right so when it's time to ride number six so step through and get the seller to ride it first um get your friend if you brought your friend with you to ride it and then if you're comfortable and you think the horse is suitable jump on and have an honest assessment of how comfortable you are on that horse and if you can do everything that you would normally be able to do on your horse at home or in lessons. Yeah, yeah. And I think you said about the video then as well. But but really, you could have the video the whole time, couldn't you? You know, just oh, the, the riding and, and everything about it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Number seven is the equipment. So um, if you've got your own gear, take it. It's a really good opportunity to check out if it is going to fit your potentially new horse because you know, we all know what a new saddle is worth. And it'll also make you more comfortable because it's equipment that you're familiar with and you're comfortable to ride in. Okay, good. Number eight, about do not think you're taking the horse home today and about what happens if you take the horse float or trailer or, or truck or something with you. That's it. Make sure you leave all of that at home and mm-hmm. take... Helps to just try and take that extra step to take the emotion out of the horse purchasing process. Yes. So, and both you and the seller will feel much less pressure mm-hmm. and it'll be a much more positive experience for you both. And at the end of the day, it's again another way to make sure you do not buy a horse that is unsuitable because it is cheaper to make a second trip to pick up the horse than it is to try and sell a horse that isn't what you wanted. Okay, good. All right, number nine was when to walk away. So you could always walk away if the horse is lame, if the seller refuses a vet or check or a drug test, if the seller has too many excuses or they're rude, Um, your friend or advisor says that the horse is no good for you or you just have a really bad gut feeling about the purchase. Okay. I think there are certainly things to think about. And the last one you talked about was the trials and overcoming the trials. 
you know, what, what else you can do besides trials. Yeah, if you can get a trial, grab it with both hands, but make sure everything is laid out clearly for both the, the buyer and the seller in case something happens. But if you can't get a trial, go talk to the seller and see if you can come and ride the horse on several different days or over a weekend and, if possible, take the, like ride the horse in different environments. Um, but, yeah, just, just make the most of every opportunity to ride the horse and, and do it as often as the seller is basically happy to let you. Good, good. All right. Now, Michelle, what about if people would like to contact you either about the DVD or for some more information about looking at horses, buying horses, even selling horses? I'm sure you could talk about that as well. How can they contact you? Um, so my business is Cherry Tree Equine and we have both website and Facebook pages. So um, I'm pretty easy to contact through both of those. Uh, it can be a little bit harder to get on the phone because oh, I'm usually outside. And <laughs> <laughs> by the time I get back to the phone at the end of the day, I'm, I'm usually tired. And <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> okay, okay. All right then. So we'll put those contact details on your page as well, which will be horsechats.com slash Michelle O'Neill 2. And if you do want to just go to horsechats.com, search for Michelle and you'll be able to see her previous interview as well or previous chat and this one and future ones as well, Michelle. Cool. Thank you, Glenna. All right. Well, thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us today and hopefully we'll catch up very soon. Thanks, mate. Always a pleasure. Okay. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses, or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.